All right. Welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. This is a big day. We have been putting this off between uh, snowstorms and traveling and losing voices and all kinds of craziness over the past couple of weeks. I'm very excited to have today's guest, Anna Malesevic. Anna, how did I do in pronouncing your name? You did very well, Adam. Thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you don't know already, you are about to know that Anna is quite brilliant. She is the founder of Sparrow Advisors. Um, I have been, uh, as most of the guests, I have been connected with Anna through Twitter, the power and wonder of, of my favorite tool. I'm a shareholder. I have to tell you that. <laughs> I have to disclose that. Um, so I got a chance to invite her. And luckily for me and for all of you listening, she agreed to uh, come on and we have a fun topic that we're going to get into. Um, before we do... Anna, would you please tell people who don't know you and, and even people like me who do know you a little bit about your background and where you've been and who you are just so that uh, they can get up to speed and, and then we'll get running. Hey, everybody. Uh, so if you don't know me from Twitter, <laughs> my name's Anna Wilson. <laughs> Um, and, and I'm not a, for some reason, I'm not a Twitter shareholder. I probably should be, um, saying how, yes, I know. I, I, I do spend a fair amount of time, uh, pontificating there, but I'm a, the, the founder, um, of, uh, Sparrow Advisors and we're a, a management consultancy that focuses on the intersection of advertising and marketing technology and all of the adjacent, um, categories and industries such as e-commerce and, and, you know, Pretty much anything that touches uh, digital interactions is uh, something that we cover. And um, a, it's a kind of a company that's been um, a, forming for a long time because um, in my track record in operational roles across media, entertainment, technology companies, and advertising um, all, over the years, I've always kind of wanted to have a very dedicated uh, management consultancy that I could summon to come and uh, help me with uh, strategy, which product lines should we be investing in, how do we take something to market in a specific market, uh, whether here in the US or globally, and then how to kind of support my staff without having to hire a whole team of uh, people who wouldn't really be utilized um, full time or didn't really have the right expertise. So um, about three years ago, uh, I built uh, or started building a consultancy built by operators for other operators. And so we're kind of the, the uh, neutral team that you would bring on board whenever you have any type of really gnarly problem that you want to solve. Hmm. Um, and that's interesting. And you, you started, mm -hmm. it sounds like you've worked in a lot of different types of environments, entertainment and marketing yes. both. Yes. I, so I started my career uh, as a computer scientist. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I've yeah. seen it all. Yeah. So I, I started uh, and I've always kind of been on the uh, intersection of more than one discipline. So my, my first venture when I was still in college was a kind of a very accidental um, software development company where you know, I was the founder, one of the engineers, but I also very quickly realized that um, there's this whole other business side that I seem to be able to straddle, but not a lot of people did. So I've, I've mostly kind of stumbled into these very multifaceted roles throughout my career. I was, you know, I got into product management before that was really an established discipline, and have uh, shifted from 
uh, industry to industry in from my perspective fairly seamlessly but um, if you were kind of going to, to look at my experience you'd probably kind of go wow you've tackled you know the music industry and other parts of media and entertainment and then really high tech and all these really really large software um, conglomerates and there's an undercurrent there that ties it all together and that's some type of advertising or marketing related concept so yeah i've I've been uh i've seen it all (laughs) yeah no it sounds like it and that's that's why today's topic is going to be engaging so today we're going to be talking about the future of work Mm -hmm. and then kind of planning for that future where we don't know a lot of uh things that'll be coming down the pike um i don't usually talk about myself on this show um, but just for point of conversation um, to provide context for listeners and and Anna, even for you. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, I'm at a small agency here. It's called Santi. We're in, based in Phoenix, but I have worked at JWT in New York, which was the biggest ad agency at the time in the world, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest office. And I've worked at in-house at Verizon. Um, so I've seen the entire scale mm-hmm. of agencies and everything from the smallest to the biggest uh, in a, in four or five different markets. So I've I've kind of seen a lot of stuff uh, and seen what works and what doesn't and how things change and how agencies can get swallowed by change or companies can get swallowed by change. Yeah, that's awesome because it, it's amazing to me how different your experience can be, even within the same industry, depending on the stage of company that you're at. Um, so mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you specialize in really early stage uh, startups, that's very different than being at a you know 500 plus person company. Uh, and I, I don't think that we really realize how different it is unless uh, you've been in all of those roles. And I, I have seen it firsthand how uh, challenging it can be for people who've had tremendous careers at one type of company. You know, they, they're driven by a desire to try something different. They move to a company of different size, and then all of a sudden, they're not supported. They, they don't really, they can't really catch their bearings quickly enough. It, it usually happens when folks go from really large companies to startups, but I've seen it happen the other way around more often than not too. I have I have witnessed people coming from big, well supported, you know, high structure organizations going to the startup or the smaller model and just losing their mind. Yep. Uh, when, when they don't know who you know, I have to do my own expense report. I don't even understand how to get started here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always something so that seems so trivial like that that really, really trips people up. <laughs> it does. It does. It gets in the psyche, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, let's talk a little bit. How do you see? How do you see? How have you seen since you started um, Sparrow Advisors? Since you said three years ago, so how have you seen work change? And you found a, a space there that didn't exist before for you for your company to exist. So what's changed, or what are you seeing as a trend? Yeah. So we um, when we first started out, um, we were uh, really testing out this theory that. Um, this type of expertise of uh, that, that we bring to the table, which is really, you know, hey, we've seen every c- company size across multiple different industries. We we can put together essentially a you know senior executive team for hire that you can task with really complex things, and we'll work around alongside your team, and we will 
transition our knowledge to your team as, as you go along. And this, um, our hypothesis was that this was going to be a great model for young and old companies alike. And I'm happy to say that three years in, that seems to have been the right hypothesis to make. Um, because for uh, younger companies, usually somebody around Series A or, or thereabouts, um, it's a tremendous um, advantage to be able to come with uh, a, a really, you know, a team that's put together that can just start executing from day one and has the right industry knowledge, and then teach and train your team that's usually consists of, of more junior employees who need to make a leap. But because you're in this high growth mode, you don't necessarily have the time or the effort to really put um, any mentorship efforts together or any training or any of that. And then for larger companies, it's similar because we, we can kind of work uh, entirely independently of any existing structures and, and really plug in into what they, they already have. And so we, we initially set off thinking this is what the market needs. We think that the market has proven us now that, that, it, that this is exactly what, what is needed. But um, the bigger shift that we've observed, not just over the last three years that, that Sparrow has been around, but I'd say probably for the better part of the last decade, um, as my, my partner and I were in, in senior operational roles across uh, sales services, uh, product, and, and a variety of different companies, is that um, things happen in s cycles and spurts in companies. And so, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, so, so you, you do need a more flexible and fluid way of accessing really stellar expertise for shorter periods of time. And, um, you know, I, I, I use uh, concepts like flow a lot. And, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're operating at a certain flow as a company, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have every skill in-house or have to try to build every skill in-house. And at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to open a full-time role for everything you possibly need. Um, and so the, the biggest shift that we've seen is that companies started or, or are starting to here in the U.S. and in other uh, regions of the world, they're maybe a little bit ahead of the curve, is, is thinking about how to be more fluid uh, about not just their internal resourcing, but how they kind of form around executing a project. Um, and, you know, we, we picked um, management consulting and strategy consulting as, as one of the um, most traditional disciplines here where, you know, you'll typically have a stable of folks who are uh, quite expensive to not have <laughs> uh, working on projects all the time but uh, tends to have a pretty generalist um, outlook and don't really go very deep on certain topics. And we kind of wanted to do to, to flip that around for uh, the 21st century and instead construct a, a looser network of really, really high caliber experts who don't necessarily want to come and work full time on a particular company's problem, but want to solve that type of problem many, many times over. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's, you're seeing a kind of a, a skeleton, the org chart turned into a skeleton of generalists mm -hmm. and then they recruit people that are 
the experts or the specialists in key areas that want to work on the types of problems they want to solve or they enjoy solving or they're the best at solving and just coming in and they're willing to be that freelancer and solve that problem short term or long term as an outside. Yeah, I think that's where we're uh, going directionally. And uh, it'll, uh, you know, every industry will will take a slightly different timeline to get there. But when you look at how uh, quickly uh, things like the gig economy kind of came out of almost nowhere, but how quickly they were adopted, there's this desire for on-demand services and, and quality on-demand expertise. Yes. Um, that's very different to how companies, especially larger companies, you know, budget for roles today, how they think about their organizations, how they think about how many people they will need to, to execute a particular project. And so on the one hand side, we have something that's very rigid um, and, and very kind of almost old school now um, in, in its structure. And then on this other hand side, we have everything from, you know, being able to summon a car when you're standing on a street corner somewhere on your mobile phone or, you know, ordering food via Grubhub or Seamless or whatever. And these, these types of experiences are permeating all parts of our life, except seemingly the traditional workplace, um, relationships, environment, et cetera, and, and where we still see that kind of monolithic thinking. How do you yeah. think? How do you think something like the, the, I don't like the phrase the gig economy because I hate well, it. I, I hate it. I, can we come up with a better name for it? <laughs> well, that's, yeah. So there's a there's a the gig economy has become a brand. Yes. It's become a terrible brand. And so the the perception when you say the gig economy, I go to TaskRabbit and all mm-hmm. these places where I feel that um, lower wage workers are uh, being exploited to a certain extent. Yes. But that's not. That's not the vision. You're not talking about that. No, and and I'm glad you brought that up because I've been struggling with that term. I absolutely hate it. I think it instantly devalues. Uh, yes, 100%. Yeah, it, it devalues flexibility of work and the ability to kind of say, hey, I'm really an expert in this particular area. This is the part of work that I enjoy the most and I want to focus on that as opposed to you know identifying yourself by the company you work with uh, you could think about, hey, this is what what I want to work on, and um, you know it, it's interesting that whenever there's a huge shift in needs, uh, it, it seems like some of the first folks to take advantage of it are kind of operating in the gray area. You know, like Mechanical Turk was great when it came up, uh, and it was very useful for. Uh, a lot of very manual tasks that there was really no easy way of solving before uh, until we realized that it's basically being used as uh, an alternative to minimum wage jobs. And in areas where there simply are no jobs here in the U.S., folks are working for like $2 an hour, something that, right. that really shouldn't be, we shouldn't be okay with that as a society. And then, you know, companies like Fiverr, for example, who are advocating, you know, $5 design. Like nobody, yeah, no, nobody in their right crazy. mind should say, I'm going to spend $5 on design. Like that's, no. <laughs> uh, or I guess the question on is, if you spend $5 on it, is it still design? Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's not, there. there's a reason why you pay $5 for something as opposed to, you know, a, a slightly more reasonable 
um, price, but it, it feels uh, almost predatory uh, at this stage. And really, it's a it's an end run around companies no long no longer want to provide uh, the level of benefits and services that they used to before. So they're doing a runaround around it with this gig economy. You know, oh, it's great. Everybody wants the gig economy. Well, the reason people are uh, receptive to the gig economy is really twofold. One is uh, for some people, flexibility at work is uh, much more important than, hey, I have a full-time job, and there's a, a really, really large population of folks who are in this in this group. And then the other is just out of necessity. It's people who would want to work full-time, but they're not able to, to find the right kind of job. Um, and, and what do you think, who, who do you think then, so we're transitioning from, I have a feeling you agree with me that the gig economy will evolve um, as that kind of predatory and a little bit of desperation mm-hmm. gives way to whatever phase two of gig economy is. Yes. Uh, but the future of work where, where we're talking about experts employing uh, education or experience, who will qualify for that? I mean, I see it a fair deal already in the marketing world where I have, oh, I need help with a very specific type of uh paid social campaign. Oh, I know a person who's an expert in doing those types of things. I can bring them in. Um, how do you see this transitioning into the, the future that you're thinking of? Yeah, so it, it's exactly that. And uh, I think in the US, we're a little bit behind the curve, mostly because, really? yeah, because it's hard to be an independent worker here because there's no health insurance and it's not it's not easy to get some of the basic benefits that other countries provide. Uh, when you look at uh, Europe, for example, job sharing, the idea of you know two people working in the same essentially full-time role, but backing each other up and providing for a seamless transition, let's say from maternity leave back into the working world or, or, or similar, this, this has been in place for a really long time. And it's easier to uh, have that amount of flexibility when you know you don't have to worry if you get a cold whether you're going to essentially go bankrupt because you you can't you have no access to to um, to healthcare. Um, right. And I think that what what we've uh, what we're working on now, and if we you know had this uh, uh, if we were recording about two months from now, I'd be able to tell you about this platform that we're building. But we're uh, starting to work on on just that. Uh, it's a how do you connect? First of all, how do you build a network of uh, highly qualified, vetted, and extremely capable people? Um, who are wanting to to work on other projects? Uh, and then how do you uh, create a marketplace where companies can also uh, find folks like that? Right now, it's usually word of mouth. Uh, and it you know, depends on, on your personal network uh, and how you, you structure that. But as a, as a freelancer or as a, as a wannabe specialist for hire, it's really hard to get started. You have to invest a lot of time in, in uh, relationships and getting that uh, off the ground. So we right. we envision uh, facilitating. We, when I say we, I, I mean uh, Sparrow. We we envision facilitating and really productizing 
these networks of high quality people. Um, and then um, working with the, the other side of this coin is really working with employers on getting them to think more along the lines of, well, I should really be paying you know, this person for three months of work what I would normally budget for maybe an entire year in this role, but I won't need this type of expertise for a whole year or, or you know, that, that kind of calculation is, is still, we find really lagging in the US. Um, so I, I, I think that every person who's even remotely entrepreneurial and very good at a particular specialist area, that this is their, their future and that this is how they will think about work uh, within the next five years, probably, uh, as opposed to you know honing your, your or, or solving the same problem in the same company for a really long time. I think we're going to see a lot more fluidity, um, and you know, in many ways, uh, very similar to how uh, accountants or uh, you know, fractional chief financial officers operate today, where you have a, a skill set that's applicable across a vast number of companies. And it really, um, you just need to be connected to the right companies that need your expertise at the right time. And you brought up a critical point about why this is all lagging here in the U.S., which is benefits uh, healthcare specifically. But if it's an extra fifteen to twenty-five percent of a salary that uh, goes to paying an, a full-time employee those benefits, in a lot of cases here in the U.S., just the cost of, of infrastructure is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so how how have you seen that be addressed? I know Europe, different nations in Europe have their own, uh, you know, open healthcare or universal healthcare or whatever. How do you think it'll be addressed here in the U.S.? based on what you've seen elsewhere? Well, I, I, you know, I do hope that we'll have a, a nationwide solution for healthcare pretty soon, <laughs> but it's in, in reality, it's going to take at best a couple of years. Um, I think for the interim, I'm hoping that more uh, states and insurance companies will make it a lot easier to sign up for the types of benefits that large companies provide, but if you're a you know a, a, a one one person shop or so, it's something that we've considered also when we think about our platform whether we want to take on as a, a you know provider of benefits as well, um, and we'll we'll cross that bridge or we'll have to cross that bridge pretty um, uh, pretty soon. But I, I think the the best. Uh, way to handle it short term would just be to factor that in into whatever uh, hourly, weekly, monthly rate uh, the freelance experts uh, want to set for themselves. Uh, that is still going to be uh, overall smarter than, uh, just economically speaking, for, for companies to, to cover than any other method that we currently have, but it really is a, a really, really big headache. Um, yeah. And I think it's it's preventing a lot of people from being more open about their flexibility needs. About you know, there are a lot of folks today who clock into the office and you know do the usual nine to five, especially in in very creative industries like ours. When you think about um, advertising creatives, you know it, it's mind boggling to me that there are requirements to show up at like nine in the morning in agencies. 
that just seems so counterproductive because it's if there's one portion of of uh, human uh, work that really can't be forced it's it's creativity and so requiring that you know somebody be physically present at a certain date and time in a certain place is really not doing much to foster the, what what they're what these, these folks are meant to be working on we've only been doing this for a hundred years I guess we'll get it in the next 150 <laughs> years eventually right? exactly I, I hope uh, I hope we we've kind of learned our lesson and we can uh, uh, Deconstruct. No, that we haven't. <laughs> you know, a girl can dream. <laughs> yeah, I get. We'll see. We'll see how it changes yeah. with it, everything going on at WPP and and um, the uh, PNG asked begging for seventy five percent of workforce to be uh, creative inside the agencies. We'll see how it all changes. Yes, it, it, it's interesting that we're so. It, it's this is such a fascinating time for so many different things. But, it, you know, we, we're under, um, we're still operating in a fairly, I, I would consider, outdated system. So this structured approach to work. Uh, and then there are these economic drivers that are starting to push folks in different directions, like that um, PNG ask, or now, you know, the, the WPP post, uh, Sir Martin Sorrell. And um, it, it, we're, we're going to be looking at a lot of restructuring. And I hope that somewhere at the uh, nexus of all of that restructuring, we really get to reevaluate what you know work physically means. And by that, I, I mean, hey, do you really need to live in one of the major markets to be successful in advertising? Now, since we're right. you and I are on this podcast, I think we you, you you've certainly proven that you know no, you can be based in other places. And I think from my work as well, I happen to live in New York, it makes a lot of things easier, but uh, a lot of our clients are, are somewhere else. So being on a plane, traveling, uh, being on video conference all the time, these are things that uh, by now should be normal. Uh, you know, we, we also do we really need the nine to five? You know, we have clients that are across uh, multiple time zones. And if we stuck to nine to five, we would never be able to talk to some of them <laughs> because they're, right. they're nine. No yeah. <laughs> so there's, uh, there, there's, if we build in flexibility at the system now, and I know this is going to be very challenging going from very rigid, regimented system to a, a you know, flexible and loose one. Uh, it's in the short term, it's going to be a pretty big adjustment for a lot of folks. But I, I think it's kind of easier if we start now, um, or really, you know, ideally a few years ago, we would have started this. But but uh, this is really the only way we'll be able to approach future work and work that is not uh, very cookie cutter and clearly defined. Um, this is, goes back to our earlier conversation about generalists versus specialists and, right. uh, and, and how that equation is going to change. Well, yeah, and I think problems are going to get more specific and unique. Mm -hmm. So, so we'll have less stamped out repeatable assignments uh, in a lot of cases. But I do have a question. Mm -hmm. So if, if, we're, if this is where it's going, I was pretty fortunate, and I suspect you were too, to have some mentors that – uh, gave me time and pointed me in directions and answered my dumb questions when I was a, when I was really young in this business or when I even when I was still in school. Um, if if those specialists are not 
present in, within the organization, who will mentor young people or not even necessarily young people, but inexperienced people that are looking to get that uh, training or additional help? How ha Have you seen any successful modeling of that kind of mentorship or is it all happening as an extracurricular? I think at the moment it's all happening as an extracurricular, and and I say this because um, I, I mostly I think I've been very fortunate in my career to have stumbled upon the right kinds of people, and have stumbled upon folks who would support this uh, flexibility even before I could articulate what it really was, and so I, I think uh, now when you think about how people form their mentorship teams. It's not necessarily somebody from the company that, that you're working at today. It's more of a, you know, a personal board kind of concept, uh, which is something that, that I've talked about uh, quite a few times, actually, that, that I, you know, again, accidentally stumbled upon fairly early on in my career, but, but has been, has proven to be a, a really transformative uh, type of setup. So basically you, you know, at, at any given time, you pick five to eight people who are very close to you, some family, some friends, some professional acquaintances, peers, etc. And you, you know, you, you consult them on, uh, or consult with them on big professional decisions, personal decisions, just like a, like a corporate board, you know, like once a quarter, you kind of run through some things with this group of people. And like with corporate boards, the group of people can change over time. And you don't want to have all family or, you know, one group over indexing others, you kind of want to have this, this uh, overall feedback. And so I think structures like that um, are going to prove to be uh, that type of mentorship network that folks need. And because it's easier than ever to reach out to people online, um, I'd ideally like to see folks try to structure those kinds of mentorship groupings. Um, don't have a really good word for it other than board. It's like mentorship grouping or whatever. No, it's a good, it's a great concept. I, I, that's a place where, uh, regional proximity can have be can be negative you know being in a place like new york yeah. or somewhere you know a bigger market or a more condensed market i guess being out here in in arizona mm -hmm. can be challenging just because there are fewer of the people doing what i'm trying to do yeah. than you have in the, in the east coast and most of those major markets or even la mm -hmm. um, so that's a challenge i think individuals will see but i, I want to ask you about the flip side mm -hmm. of that so We've worked out a model where um, I can go and, you know, a combination of in-person and digital advisory board that I build, which I love that idea of the board. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for a company, though? If So if I'm starting a company, you started Sparrow mm -hmm. and you want to build that. So 20 years from now, what does it mean that internally a company wouldn't be mentoring people necessarily Will that mean more people changing jobs and leaving jobs, less, you know, more fluidity and less long-term, I mean, even less long-term employees? Or how do you see that working? Uh, I think the the concept of how we value length of employment uh, needs to change too. So I don't think it's, there's necessarily a correlation between length of employment and really anything um, because, 
you know, again, looking at U.S. companies in particular uh, and just anecdotally looking at my own network, I know a lot of people who would have jumped ship or left to other jobs, but they're, you know, shackled by uh, all healthcare and similar things that we talked about, or they're just, you know, they're, they're stimulated enough in their current roles not to kind of rock the boat, but want to spend extra time working on themselves, working on other projects, etc. So I, I think that how somebody perceives work in general is very individual. What I like to to focus on throughout all, all of my companies and all of the, the teams I've built over the years is, for me, flexibility is really religion. And whatever that means to each individual person, for some folks, it might be, hey, I need to you know finish my work Every day at three, I'll log in again at 8 p.m. after I've put my kids to bed, but I need that time to focus on other things. Um, and or it might be, you know, hey, I want to work on a new project every quarter. I want to work with a new client. I want to work in a new region. I want to expand my horizons. And I think in the future, companies that are able to understand better what motivates each person that, uh, that, that they're employing, as opposed to assuming that everybody wants to, you know, be promoted every two years, get a title bump and, and things like that. Those are going to be the companies that are going to, to ultimately win. And that goes back to the whole destructuring of how we think about work today. I think we, we assume that everybody wants the same kinds of outcomes from work. And I think there are a lot of people who are you know, very happy with having stable employment and not necessarily thinking about changing roles or changing industries or changing professions. But there's also a, a really, really significant group of folks who uh, think about work differently. And there's really no company model that matches that today and and not to not to right. mention the gig economy again <laughs> but but that's yeah the, that's not let's not go yeah. down <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> it's gotten a it's gotten a black eye but i don't think it applies to the people that are, are we're talking but, about this is driving me nuts because i have been trying to come up with a better name for it and so the, as of late we've been calling it like the high-end gig economy which is somehow even worse than just gig economy so it's really this is the thing that's been keeping me up at nights now it needs a better name it really needs a, a better brand because it, it's not really doing justice to how empowering it can be how creative it can be and and how uh, you know how how much of a better outcome we can get if we're able to transition to this new method of, method of work um well, yeah. I, also, it's the the black eye hasn't been given to the economy part mm -hmm. of that phrase. It's been given to the the gig yes. part. And so, you know, knowledge work is typically not thought of as a gig. Yes, um, it, it's not. But when you look at companies and how they think about uh, bringing in part time talent, uh, there's very little distinction today in between that. It's like, oh, we need this person to do this one thing, uh, as opposed to we would need this type of person with these kinds of skill sets that could help with, you know, 
these four or seven or 10 or however many different things that the most difficult thing today for a freelancer for working for a large company is to, you know, when you're working in one department to go and do that same thing for a different department or a different office. And it really shouldn't be that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Of having lived that. That's yes. <laughs> um, and yet, you know, another big um, driver around re rethinking work. Well, there, there's really two huge, huge drivers that have uh, inspired a lot of our, our thinking and efforts around this is, you know, we see this in, the, in our daily um, engagements with clients. Uh, it, it is that, uh, that the flexibility and transitioning. Like, for example, you know, hey, we are going to have a senior leader who's about to go on maternity leave. Like, are we going to need to pause these three or four projects? And you kind of go, well, you know, no, that's a really temporary state. <laughs> well, what happens if the person doesn't come back from maternity leave? Well, then that's a that's a different story. Why wouldn't they? You know, they're a senior leader. They're seemingly they're really good at their job, and you know, so that kind of kicks off two different kinds of conversations. One is, well, are you able to support people as an organization who are going through um, life changes? Um, and, you know, that then goes into, well, wait a minute, we have the, in the U.S., we're about to have the largest, gener uh, the largest generation of folks who are about to retire, um, or they're going to reach retirement age, but not necessarily want to retire, especially if they're, they're knowledge workers. What are we going to do with them? We don't really have an, an right. easy way to, um, there's no marketplace where you can go and find somebody who's spent, you know, 30 years as a senior executive um, who now has extra time on their hands or whatnot. Um, so we've been thinking of, of these transitions, whether it's usually with, with women, it's usually around maternity, and we've uh, seen so much research around uh, the pay discrepancy between men and women and how having children negatively impacts women from an earning uh, perspective as opposed to it's really beneficial for men. So, you know, can more flexibility help with that? Uh, thinking of retirees, we're thinking of people who are interested in changing verticals. So this is the other thing that that's really interesting from uh, uh, how structured our work lives are. Um, if you want to go from, let's say, advertising into e-commerce, those two industries are very similar and it's very easy to transition from one to another, or I should say it should be. But if you are looking to, like if you're mid-career and you're looking to switch from one uh, industry to another, it's not so easy. And even within advertising, if you've spent most of your career on the buy side, uh, and you you want to see kind of what it's like on the sell side, or you want to go and and uh, you know, be an executive at a brand, for example. It, again, it's not how we think about uh, somebody's capabilities and and what they bring to the table. It, you, you if you're you know running a, a one type of company, you kind of want to hire people who've had experience with just that type of company, and that's in today's world that's pretty myopic. We we're going through so much transition that people who've colored a little bit outside of the lines are uh, I think much have the, the the 
much better predisposed to be successful in in this coming economy and today's economy as well. That's the kind of that's the kind of thinking you need to bring in as not somebody who solved that mm-hmm. exact thing before, but somebody who's got a different perspective than the rest of the organization. That's that is the status exactly. And, and you've hit the nail on the head. And then we we. we as companies, we still think of, oh, this is the problem I have. Let me find somebody who solved exactly that problem. The problem is that by the time that person starts, you're no longer solving that particular problem because that problem has evolved. And this is the reality of the pace of change that we're, we're seeing and the reality of a, of a very you know, digital first world. So if you're hiring a, a vice president, it's going to take you six to nine months to find somebody. And then it's going to take them another month and a half to start. And then you know the usual 90 days for them to ramp up. So we're talking about a year. Right. So what problem in today's world stays exactly the same for a whole year. I don't, yeah, I can't wow. think of many or any really. So, so there's that, that, that fluidity is here already. We're just not really equipped to, to deal with it um, uh, readily. And, and that's the, the problem that, that we see at, at current clients and the problem that we hope to solve uh, moving forward. Wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, I think that's a perfect place to end. And I'm really glad <laughs> you, you just got to that point. That's a very big exclamation point for me. What problem will still remain the same in a year? Yeah, if if you find one, let me know. I'm really curious. I don't think there but, are. You know, Jesus, what will remain the same in a week? Yes, I, I think. Well, just look at the, the last week that we've had in advertising, right? I mean, the, this weekend has with with you know Sir Martin Sorrell again le- resigning uh, th- this is going to have a tremendous impact on uh, um, not just the structure of WPP but possibly how we think about holding companies and it's giving everybody you know an, a new new kind of uh, newfound lease on rethinking how we're going to market here. And then, you know, a few days before that, we had the Facebook hearings and GDPR right. is coming in a few weeks. Like nothing about this is static, except the way companies think about tackling it is is pretty static. And, you know, anybody who now builds a, like an 18-month plan has to be ready to reevaluate that plan, if not every quarter, then certainly every six months. And that's the, the reality of it. Yeah. That, Even quarterly yeah. seems hard to lock on to. Yes. And, and you know, that's, that's where we're seeing a lot of friction because you, you need to come up with a new way of planning that can account both for short-term, medium-term, and long-term. And, uh, you know, I, this is maybe a little bit self-serving, but I think folks who've had product management background and have put things on roadmaps have a, an advantage here because this is exactly the kind of challenge that, that you would solve uh, regularly and many times over. Um, but, you know, that's not really something that's used in financial planning as a discipline, like corporate financial planning or budgeting. So that's that's right. interesting. And, and that's how we get these newer disciplines that are kind of cross-cutting and and covering a couple of different areas. I love Mm -hmm. it. Well, you know what? I think I would love you hinted at something that you'll be releasing soon, which uh, maybe we'll have to do a sequel to this because I have a feeling you and I could talk about this for another hour. Uh, Yes, probably easily. (laughs) But uh, but let's leave it for (laughs) for part two. It'll be much more exciting then. We'll have uh, a show. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll set up up the sequel for sure. 
Well, Anna, tell people where they can find you. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter as AEXM. Uh, that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. And uh, barring that, please come to hellosparrow.com and you can uh, read more about our advisory business, Sparrow Advisors, and fairly soon you'll be able to see this new thing that we're cooking up for the future of work. I will be checking back frequently to see that for sure. Uh, Anna, I thank you again for making time and for uh, playing scheduling with me. I know we had some uh, starts and stops. We did, but I'm, I'm very glad we connected. This was a lot of fun, and I'm very jealous. It's a really rainy, miserable day today in the Northeast, and I'm hoping we get spring uh, sometime pretty soon, finally. We, we, <laughs> we actually have a cloud here in Scottsdale, so I'm, I feel terrible as well. <laughs> well... I'll leave you with that. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Thank you again. Thanks.